0: So, hello and welcome. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman. On this month's podcast, I'm going to be chatting with the wonderful Andy Smart. So, hey, Andy, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Fantastic. Um, So, people might know you best as being part of the uh, Comedy Store Players, much-loved Comedy Store Players. Um, So, I mean, how did it all start for you initially, the whole comedy thing?
1: The comedy (laughs) The comedy thing. uh, (laughs) Yes, I was... uh, I've written a book, actually, about that. It's called A Hitching Time, and it's... uh, it's basically the story of how I hitched off in 1982 to see England play France in the '82 World Cup in Bilbao in uh, in Spain, and then I went to Pamplona to run with the bulls, and I had all my money stolen, and my passport, and uh, my camera, and everything, and uh, I thought, oh, well, how am I going to get home? And I'd done a bit of TIE in Liverpool previous to that, and uh, one of the guys on the team had taught me how to juggle quite basic juggling really and um i stood in the town square in pamplona for eight hours and juggled and made 80 pounds and i thought well this is uh and that was a lot of money in those days yeah. i thought this is this is a nice way of making a living so uh, i hitched back to the uk and i, I went straight to Covent garden and started juggling there and uh, and then i met angelo abella there and we became the vicious boys and we won the Street Entertainment Year Award in '84, and then we went on to have our own TV show on breakfast. we uh, on kids' TV. We had a two-hour live show every Saturday, and we had a, a, another show on Sundays. And then we did the American Football <laughs> for some reason. Oh wow! And we for Channel Four. We commentated on Super Bowl twenty two in San Diego, and then uh, in about 1990, Angelo wanted to go off and be a successful TV producer and I wanted to drink more so <laughs> we went our separate ways and um, and I became a solo stand-up but I've been guesting with the players since they started in 85 and then I became a full comedy store player in 96. So uh, yeah and we've got our 35th birthday coming up in October.
0: Oh my goodness, doesn't feel that long does yes. it?
1: Well, <laughs> maybe not to you. <laughs> I'm an old man now. I'm getting old. I'm sixty now. I'm sixty and I'm feeling it. No but you know, if you well, the things I've done to this body it's a wonder it's still is, really.
0: Yeah, and as I was saying, I was I was talking to Ian Copper the other day and he was regaling me with some stories of your colourful past. <laughs> which which ones? Oh, you'll have to wait and see. All right. So yeah, I, I mean, don't
1: repeat anything.
0: well, no, better not, better not. Um, so you're from Southsea, Portsmouth, neck of the yeah, woods, that's originally.
1: Right. That's um, where I was born, but I only lived there for like three years. Right, and then I moved up to Farnborough, and then oh, very posh. For six years. Farnborough in Hampshire, no, it's nice It's well, it's, it's, a, it's a commuter belt suburb, really. It's uh, I couldn't wait to get out of there, really. As soon as I was 18, I was off.
0: I'm yeah. from Sussex, so Farnborough to us was oh, uh, right. was posh, you know.
1: So, <laughs> whereabouts in
0: Sussex? Uh, a little town called Bogneregis. You may have heard of it.
1: Oh, yes. I've holidayed there many times as a kid. At the bo- Bognor Butlins. Bognor
0: Butlins. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Still very much... On the black uh, sand. Yes.
1: Don't, don't dig down more than six inches. Yeah, I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably find a few bodies there, I'd say, as well.
1: Oh, Okay. Well, <laughs> I
0: don't know. I'm just. Spe- I,
1: don't, I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to know
0: about your part. I'm. I'm speculating. <laughs> yeah. I'm speculating. Um, so the whole improv thing. Obviously, you kind of went into went into stand up with the yeah. the comedy store and stuff. The improv stuff you're doing at the moment. Yeah. Does has improv always come naturally to you, or was it kind of a skill you had to learn?
1: No, it was um, actually I, Angelo and I were doing it on the street as part of our street show. We'd do a we used to do parodies of films and uh, just um, do sort of like cartoon, violent mimes of different films, um, beating each other up. And um, and then in the middle of the show, we'd say, right, give us a film title, and we'd just improvise a, a, a sort of two-minute sketch <laughs> off of whatever anyone gave us, really. So I'd been doing improv with Angelo, and then when the players started, I was sort of keen to get in on it, because it was... Um, it was just such a lot of fun and it's 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 great being part of a team rather than when you're doing stand up on your own it's quite lonely up there sometimes yes yeah but when you're in an improv group then it's it, you've always got someone else on stage with you and someone to rescue you or someone to make you laugh and change the mood in the room it's always uh, it's always more fun with 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 a group of you
0: yeah and i mean i suppose you had like Whose line is it anyway was huge hugely popular back around that time <laughs> as well
1: yeah, which was based on the games that we played at the store. So uh, I went up and auditioned for all nine series for Dan Patterson, uh, the the director, and he said no every single time. So the last time, I think the ninth series, I got the call and I, um, I told Paul Merton that uh, I was going to go and do the ninth time and he was going, why, why, you know he's not going to pick you. And I went... No, no, I've done all eight. I've done all eight so far. I'm going to do the ninth one. He said, "Well, come round to mine beforehand." So I went round to Paul's house, which was he lived down in Merton at the time, and um, in Wimbled- near Wimbledon. And I sort of uh, I said, why, why, "Why have I come here?" And he said, "Right, we're going to drink this crate of beer, <laughs> and, have, and we're going to have a few joints, and then I'm going to put you in a taxi and send you off to your audition." And I went, "All right then, that sounds fun." <laughs> so I turned up absolutely off my face. Um, <laughs> Was, I was about 15 minutes late. They'd already started doing games. And apparently, I i can't remember this at all. Apparently, I walked in and just went, I'm here! <laughs> <laughs> Demanded to take part in all the games. And, uh, yeah, so there was no way I was going to get the notice. But I did finally, this year, get to do it in um, Edinburgh. So, with Clive and, and, and uh, Frosty and a few others. It was uh, Marcus and Greg Proops. But then I've worked with Greg for years, so... And you know we've done, we've done the, the Palladium, we've done the Globe, we've done all over. We've done Stratford. You know it's uh, the players of, uh, I suppose the biggest improv group in the country.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean you had obviously had, you had people like Tony Slattery, who's kind of come back into the yeah. come back into the public eye now, uh, and he seems to be doing yeah. great things at the moment. Yeah, yeah. He's uh,
1: he's um, really well. He's, he's doing a documentary, isn't he, about his yeah. um, about his uh, illnesses and uh, the troubles he's had over the years with his uh, mental health. Um, so I wish him good luck because Tony's a very funny man,
0: very funny man. Yeah, I oh, know he was brilliant back in the back in the day on Who's Line. It was just one of these things you ha- you, oh, yeah. had, you watched it every single week. You know, you'd you'd make every sure you Friday, were in yeah. and watched it. Um, so I mean, would you say it's possible to learn improv? Is it a learnable skill?
1: Yeah, there's rules obviously, and it's it's basically yeah you can learn how to to play by those rules i mean obviously at the store we know the rules so well that we we tend to just break them all the time <laughs> <laughs> because you can get an easy laugh that way but um we also we also know all the rules so we you know you, you learn about uh, you can learn about status you can learn about it's basically just agreeing and adding so if someone yeah. says something to you, you you just say yes and and keep the whole thing going it's a bit like having a conversation really <laughs> but we are we are doing we are doing um courses uh at the store I think we've sold out this this session, but the, the, we i think that because of the success of this one we'll probably do it again in the autumn so that people can come along and uh, we take them through the games that we play and and teach them the rules basically mm. and once you know the rules, anyone can really do it.
0: I mean, do you get much yeah. in the way of hecklers? I mean, obviously you get people shouting up stuff and that, but do you, I mean, do you get much in the well, way of hecklers?
1: When, yeah, no, we only, we say that at the start, we, you know, we, you'll get plenty of time <laughs> to shout out during the show, but just do it when we ask you, please. <laughs> and not at other times.
0: Um, So, I mean, who yeah. who would have been your comedy heroes growing up? Who would you have looked up to?
1: Uh, Morecambe Wise, Tommy Cooper, Marx Brothers, Goon Show, mm. um, all those sort of, I tended to like the more surreal ones like Monty Python and The Goons and um, and obviously Tommy Cooper was quite surreal as well. But um, yeah, my my dad was big into comedy. He would take us to see shows. We'd go up to the Palladium now and again mm-hmm. when he had a bit of money. And if not, we'd go down to the, the King's Theatre in Portsmouth when we used to go and visit the grandparents. So, yeah, and if there was, if he thought there was a good Comic Con, and we went to see Tommy Cooper once. And oh it was wow! Fantastic, and yeah, and we saw sort of Billy Dainty and Max Wall, and yeah, quite a few of the old ones, and Ken Dodd, and and uh, Bob Monkhouse. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Dad was very, uh, very uh, into his comedy.
0: Yeah, obviously rubbed off in, on you in the, you know, eventually. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I mean, who, would you, who, do you, who are you liking on the scene at the moment, comedian-wise? Is there anybody that's floating your boat at the moment?
1: <laughs> well, Frankie Boyle makes me laugh, and, um, and Sean Locke makes me laugh a lot. Um, but of the new ones coming through, ooh, um, like Sarah Millican and uh, Jessica Fortescue, who else? I love Joe Caulfield's Cole, Cole, work, and um, Ian Stone's very funny. I don't really know the young ones. Um, in fact, Angelo, uh, my, my, the, the other guy who was in the, the Vicious Boys, his son is now doing it. Oh, right. <laughs> so, he's uh, Jacobello. Keep an eye out for him. He, yeah, yeah. I went to see him and he was, he was very good, very, very good, considering he's only done it for about a year now. And he's Yeah, he's one to keep an eye on for the future.
0: Mm. Um, so, I mean, were you a funny kid, would you say?
1: Um, well, I sort of addressed that in the book because, it's also about you know me growing up in Farnborough, but yeah. um, and I, I tended. People say, "Oh yeah, uh, you know, you, you do it to stop being bullied." Well, I, <laughs> in a way, I used to do it <laughs> and get myself more bullied because <laughs> I think I used to think, "Right, I'm going to get hit here, so I might as well get a, <laughs> a, 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 a you know, a, a verbal gag in first at, at, at this guy's expense." Um, and maybe that was the, the others will be on my side then, you know. So I used to I used to be very funny to the bullies, and then they used to be. <laughs> <up. laughs> but there was a few people appreciated my my uh, attempts at humour in those days. So I, I used to write all the school assemblies and stuff like that. And mm. They were always very surreal. I did I wrote one for the whole class to do, which was about um, phobias, and uh, so it was just basically getting. My classmates out and just exposing them to whatever they were scared of <laughs> and seeing their reactions. And uh, and then my mate Pete Carey, he was, uh, he was very he was a very funny kid at school as well. We used to do a lot together. And his his uh, his phobia was custard pies. So every time he stepped <laughs> forward, he'd get a custard pie in his face <laughs> and run off screaming. And then he'd come back all cleaned up, and I'd do it again. And so that was sort of the running gag. But it was yeah. And I had uh, the drama drama teacher, Mr. Parslow, sort of encouraged me to do all the, the comic parts in all the plays that we did at, at school. So I played um, Yusuf in uh, Caucasian Short Circle, and I had to have a, a bath on stage in sort of half a barrel. And um, the, he, basically, if you don't know the Caucasian Short Circle, he, he marries y- um, uh, Yusha, the, the girl, to uh, because she's being hunted by the the state police and they're looking for a a mother on her own so she thinks if I get married they won't be able to find me and she sees this bloke who's been uh, ill in bed for 20 years and she says I'll marry him because he'll be no trouble and then he sees how beautiful she is and he just leaps off the bed because he's just been doing it to get out of going into the army basically (laughs) Um, and then so he then demands a bath on stage so uh, and the water's too hot. So what they used to do is it was February we did this play and they put all the, the buckets of water outside until the ice sort of formed on the top. <laughs> and then she used to pour the, this, Sue Wilsdon her name was, played Grusha, and she poured the water over me and, God, I screamed and I screamed and and I kept screaming. <laughs> and the audience thought, this was hilarious. And the towel was too small and I stood up oh, and everyone no. saw everything and then, and then I sort of came off and I got a standing ovation I had to come back and take a bow <laughs> and when I got back to the dressing room Mr Parslow the, uh, the the drama teacher just went what was all that noise I said I got a standing ovation sir and he went well get into your costume you've got another part in a minute and I was like <laughs> okay right That showbiz <laughs> so he taught me from a very young age not to get too uh, wrapped up in success
0: yeah so I mean, you've you've performed all over the world, obviously. Um, so I mean, what's yeah. the? Have you, you must have performed in some really weird places.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Ian mentioned. Did he mention Ningbo?
0: Yes, there he did. In China. We yeah. Went,
1: <laughs> with, the, with the toilet on the stage. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was quite weird. Uh, where else have we done? We did. A, oh, in Singapore, we did a big outdoor event, and they didn't have any. Uh, head mics for us, so we had to do it with hand towels and pass them between oh. ourselves <laughs> uh, at like two in the morning in front of this very drunk, very posh crowd who just didn't want us to be there, really. And that was uh, that was, and it was in just such beautiful surroundings, you know, on a a warm tropical night in Singapore outside, in these beautiful gardens, and then all these idiots just ignoring <laughs> us or shouting over us. <laughs> Uh, where else? I've done. Uh, oh, we did. Show, we used to go over to New York quite a lot. That mm-hmm. was that was always good fun. Uh, with Angelo we used to go over and do uh, Catch a Rising Star and the Danceateria, the Last Laugh, and the Improv. And we did one show at the uh, Catch a Rising Star, and the guy said, because we used to uh, in those days Virgin used to um, let you do shows on the plane in exchange for a ticket. Oh so, my God! Yeah. We used to have to do six minutes in each compartment of a jumbo jet. (laughs) And then you got a free ticket. And then coming back, the stewardesses would say, look, we don't want you to do um, the show because you'll keep everyone awake. So here's a bottle of champagne. Just go and sit at the back. Oh, my God. And, yeah, so you didn't have to do the show on the way back. But on the way over, you had had to do it. And uh, that was quite weird, performing on the jumbo jet um, in the middle of the Atlantic. But... um, then we used to go and do that was on the Friday, and then we'd busk all day in in Washington Square, do the street show, make about five hundred dollars doing that, and then we'd go and do uh, either you know one of the comedy clubs. Mm. And when we did Capturizing Style, the guy said, "Look," he said, uh, "you guys are fantastic." So they didn't have on that on the New York scene at the time. They didn't have any double acts at all. It was all solos, and um, so it was like a real novelty. And they, he said, "Look, I really want you to come back and do." Christmas week from the twenty first of December to the second of January and we said, All oh, right, well that'd be fantastic. You know, Christmas in New York oh. We said, How much how much is how much are we getting? And he said, thirty five dollars each a show. And oh. we were like, What? Oh. He said we said, Do you know how much we can earn in England in that period? And he went, No. We went, About three hundred dollars, <laughs> you know And he went, Well, I can't pay that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> So we never got to play Christmas
0: in New York, but there you go. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Yeah. I suppose with you know the the travel side of what you do must be yeah. amazing. You must have been, been to some amazing countries and seen some amazing things.
1: Yeah, yeah, like Baku and um, Beirut. Um, Baku in Azerbaijan is an amazing place to go, and and Beirut was amazing. but A real party town. I wouldn't really I wouldn't have thought it was such a oh oh yeah. No,
0: my, I wouldn't goodness. have said
1: so. <laughs> It's the Monte Carlo of the, of the, uh, of the sort of Asian countries oh my on God. that end of, the, of Asia, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's just all swimming pools, beautiful swimming pools. And, and then there's uh, fantastic nightclubs and bars. Oh, it's incredible. And they, you can get anything you want. Oh, it's just crazy, crazy town. We partied for, we, yeah, we partied for 48 hours solid there. It was
0: great. <laughs> I suppose there's, there's expats, isn't there, wherever you go in the world... There's going to be
1: well, yeah, expats. usually it's expats. But that one in Beirut, it was the um, we played at the American University there, which they've got an American University, which is where people from like Yemen and Sudan and Oman uh, and Qatar and Bahrain and, and Saudi they all sort of go and they go to this American university, and because of uh, all the language differences, they mm. they all speak Amer- they all speak English there, so we had to slow it down and, and and we did probably more visual gags than we normally would do but um they absolutely loved it they really did
0: yeah i mean you'd fun. wonder if like the language barrier would kind of even you know you'd, you'd say yeah. something in in england say and you could you could say it in america and it have a totally different meaning
1: oh yeah yeah well yeah you have to yeah you, you have to watch out for that but <laughs> generally it's sort of um we played probably I'd say about 80% expats and 20% locals. And sort of weird things like um, in when we did, used to do China, we used to do, well, we played some really weird places there, including Ningbo, obviously. But um, when we did Beijing after the Olympics, because um, about, I don't know, there must have been about 10,000 people who had been taught English from, yeah. to, to as guides at the Olympics. And they all used to come to the show. <laughs> <laughs> not all at the same
0: time. Well, no, I hope They used
1: to not. come and see the show. <laughs> they used to come and see the show because the guy who taught them and I love him, whoever he was, used to just play Mo- uh, Monty Python um, <laughs> records to them, and they used to just learn it off by heart. So we'd finish the gig in you'd finish the gig in China, in Beijing, and you'd go and have a drink at the bar, and they'd come up and they'd go, "This power is dead." <laughs> go, yes, 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 it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is this a five-minute uh. argument? No. OK. <laughs> right. Settle down. They knew all the good sketches, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's amazing how some of the old, you know, like the Pythons and even, even mm. people like Tommy Cooper has stood the test of time and people are still reciting goon show sketches and things now.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, if if it's a good joke, it will last forever. I mean, look at Barry Cryer. Uh... Oh, yeah.
0: Definitely. <laughs>
1: He, he's, and he's written most of those jokes, probably. Especially all the all the ones you hear in pubs. People tell them each other in pubs. They all they all go back to Barry at some point.
0: I've been watching a few of those um, comedian things he's been doing at the moment. Kind of spotlights on different comedians, and he's been kind of yeah analysing like Tommy Cooper and uh, Malcolm Wise, uh, the two Ronnies. And It's just amazing because yeah. you know, he kind of had a hand in a lot of these.
1: Oh yeah, he wrote he wrote for a lot of them, and Sykes as well. He did a load of um, stuff with Eric Sykes. Yeah, oh, he was a legend. Very, very funny. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so let's let's talk a bit about music now. Uh, as part of, part, of this, oh, right. part okay. of this podcast is about. Um, so, I mean, do you have a favourite artist or band that you're you're into?
1: Uh, well, it changes. To, uh, no, I, cause I, 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 in the in the car, I listen to sort of everything from like ska right to opera to punk to disco to any. Uh, yeah, I've got a very eclectic mix. But um, I like at the moment. I like going and seeing people like uh, Sleaford Mods, uh, Southie people, Shed Seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyone who likes a bit of shouting, I'll go. I'll be there at the front Pogo in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you get do you get much chance to go to gigs and stuff, obviously, if you're gigging at, in the evenings and stuff?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not, it's not so busy now. I tend to more, work more during the day now, because with all my writing stuff. Yeah. So it's uh, I only do the Wednesday and Sundays normally at the store, so I've got quite a few days to go and see bands. So, yeah, I go up to the Roundhouse. Neil Malarkey likes going up there and watching the old punk bands. <laughs> We've seen quite a few. We've seen The Damned up there and... Uh, uh, who else do we see? The Skids and the Rosillos, and uh, yeah, we yeah we go and watch all those old, that old, relive our punk days. But uh, yeah, that's that, that was my favourite period of music, sort of seventy seven to eighty eight, really.
0: Yeah, a lot of them seem to be making a comeback now. You know, the, the ones that haven't passed well, yeah, away and stuff, good. obviously.
1: No, they're all coming back now. Yeah, it's it's good for us oldies.
0: Yeah, definitely. You go. Know, you've got people like Buster Blood Vessel, You got Bad Manners touring and. You know, Madness are yeah, yeah. obviously still still on the circuit, doing uh, doing amazing things. There's lots
1: to see out there.
0: Is there anyone in particular that you would say would would kind of you would have listened to from as a kid, uh, music-wise, that you've kind of always had a love for?
1: <laughs> I followed I followed the Boomtown Rats on tour one year, one year, and I hitchhiked around the country just, and then in the end, Geldof got fed up. I think of seeing me in front row <laughs> of every gig, and he, he all. God.
0: You do a lot of work for charity as well. I know you you were you were helping out at Crisis this Christmas just gone. How did you how did yeah, you, how did you start, did you start um, doing that?
1: Well, um, I was it was back in 2007, and I'd split up with uh, my partner, and uh, I was sitting, uh, I was well, I was contemplating spending the whole of Christmas just on my own. I like, mm. I didn't really want to do the family thing because my brother's a, a vicar. And, oh you know,
0: my god! You
1: know, yeah. <laughs> We don't see eye to eye on religion. So um, I thought, no, I'm not going to go to the family. Uh, and I thought, I, I, I can't just sit here on my own watching telly. So um, I found out the crisis for Christmas was doing, they'd taken over the old BBC rehearsal rooms, which oh, right. is about 400 yards from my house. So I went, well, I'll go and do that. So I went and did two nights on that, um, that year. And Ed Sheeran was one of the other volunteers that year. He was 18 at the time um and it just on the third day it snowed about three four foot of snow and i just went oh you know and i I was only down to do the first two nights Mm. i knew i knew as soon as the snow came that people wouldn't be able to get there and so someone was sent to my house to knock on the door and go got to come in and do another night so i ended up doing all seven in the end and then i've done it every year since then so it's we had 200 and ten guests this year wow. down in a school in Bermondsey. and it was our best year for finding people housing. We got about forty of them housed by the end of the week. But um, it's great because you see them on the first night, and they're they're very wary. They can't make eye contact with yeah. you. The, some of them are some of them are quite angry because that's how they deal with being in an awkward situation is to get angry. And um, then by the end of the week, they've had. They've got new clothes. They've had a haircut. Yeah. They've uh, been to see the podiatrist because they have a lot of trouble with their feet. Cause you can't really wash your feet on the street. Yeah, um, living on the street. And then they get to see housing people. They get to see benefit people. They get um, check for TB. Uh, Santa Claus comes on Christmas Day and oh, gives them wow. a, all a present. They get a little bag with. Um, uh, I think they get three pairs of. Of uh, box of shorts, uh, three pairs of socks, a bar of soap, and a toothbrush, and a, and a mandarin orange. But to them, that's oh, the it's world. huge. You know, it's, yeah, it's great. And then, as you, on the last night, it's sort of really. I mean, it's hard on the last night because yeah. you know, they're going back on the street Some of them, the ones that you haven't found housing for. Um, but they, but they're all in. They're all healthy. You know, and they've had they've had a week to get themselves healthy because a lot of them have got really bad immune systems yeah. living on the streets. So. So it just just sort of gets them healthy before it gets really cold Um, and hopefully gets them through. You know, every year we get people coming back and uh, there's always a few missing every year. We had Angel, uh, who in fact, um, Ed Sheeran wrote his song about his first ever big hit was about the night he worked at um, Crisis and he met this uh, woman, Angel, who was a heroin addict and uh, they sort of got on quite well and... uh, and then she came back about, I don't know, it could have been about 2013, she came to one of the, the centres I was working at and she was just walking around going, they call me number one, <laughs> they call me number one. Because she got Ed Sheeran to number one, so she said she was famous. Um, sadly, she didn't turn up this year, so, and I said, has anyone seen Angel? And someone said, oh no, she didn't make it. And it was like, oh
0: my God. Oh my God.
1: It's hard, it's hard, Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, what sort of demographic do you get coming to you? Is it literally anybody and everybody? It could be old, young, male, female, Well, some of them,
1: them, yeah, it's it's everyone, yeah. Um, And it's it's probably about, uh, I don't know, it's probably about 70% uh, UK and then the rest are from around the world. Mm. We had a guy from St. Lucia there this year who was just down on his luck and... Lost his flat and is and he'd fallen falling out with his wife and he was just living rough on the streets until oh so he God. could get some money from his family to sort of go back to Saint Lucia. And he was, um, it was yeah. So uh, you get people like that, and then you get people that have been homeless for fifty years. You don't ever want to go indoors and live indoors. They don't want the paperwork. They don't want to be. They don't want to be tied down to anything.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then you get people that have actually got hostels from previous years but they're just tiny little rooms bare rooms and um so it's uh what we do is we get them down to crisis at christmas so they get a, a proper sort of family sort of christmas a, a, happy, a happy yeah experience, yeah for getting, getting fed and stuff you know yeah
0: something so simple oh yes
1: they get well fed <laughs> Oh my goodness. and then yeah they sleep about 15 uh about 30 to a room yeah, after Christmas Day dinner, when they've had the sprout score, <laughs> sat in the sleeping room for too long, it gets a bit strong. But it's lovely, and they do karaoke every night. Oh, fantastic! And they, they go off. They get trips up to uh, this year. About thirty of them went to Millwall to watch a game, and they got given uh, medals, and, um, and it just makes them, you know, just tiny little things. Yeah, exactly. So much to them. Um, it's great. There's one guy who was. Um, one guy who's been living rough with his wife, who's got dementia, oh he used God. to be a uh, he used to be a caretaker on a big estate up in Camden, and then he lost his job when the, the council made cutbacks. And um, so him and his wife live have been living on um, Battersea Park behind the pavilion. They've yeah. been putting their tent up every night at one o'clock and then taking it down at six and leaving the park so no one sees them. And they go, their spot is up at Oxo Tower. And he came up to him the last night and he had just such a big grin on his face. And I said, what's, what's up, Yassif? And he said, oh, I've, I've just found out they found me a flat in Wimbledon. <gasps> and he was just, oh, and wow. so that he, he, he's been living three years with the wife with dementia. He's been living rough on the, you know, in Battersea Park. That's crazy. And he was just so excited, so happy. I've never seen anyone so happy in my life. It was great. We all, had, we all had a bit
0: of a cry that oh, i'd say so oh my god i mean that's the thing that yeah. it must be so great to get that kind of feedback from the work you do as well seeing these people you know getting stuff in getting stuff yeah. sorted well
1: the, yeah and the, the reason i do it because i mean i live such a, a charmed life mm. and i'm so lucky with uh all the travel we do and I mean, I'm basically just paid to have fun with my mates, really. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I always feel a little bit guilty about it, and and so I that's why I do it. At the, so every year I'll go and give a week up and just do uh, crisis at Christmas. And I do uh, there's a um, there's a place down in Croydon as well that I go and do nights there, but it's not as bad as uh, crisis at Christmas because at crisis at Christmas you have to stay awake for the from like ten o'clock till eight thirty in the morning when you can go home. Oh wow. Whereas uh, the Croydon one, once everyone's got up the bed, you can have a bit of a nap on the sofa. So, so
0: yeah,
1: I quite enjoy that one. I do that one about once a month.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's the difference between obviously being central London and uh, you know the suburbs.
1: Yeah, well, it's just a smaller shelter in it, so, and they've all you know they've all got rooms. They're all allocated rooms. There's single rooms and doubles and a couple of dormitories there. So
0: yeah, yeah, we can,
1: we can look after about forty people at that one. Fantastic. But the government should be bloody doing that. Oh, uh, it's.
0: Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, even here, it's just. Do you know what I mean? In this day and age, there shouldn't be, there should not be homeless people on the streets.
1: No, no. And Finland have just eradicated homelessness yeah. in, in sort of three months. They've just said, right, any empty flats, we're taking them over, and they just give, they give you a. Uh, if you're sleeping rough, they just give you a flat straight away, no questions asked. Yeah. And then, then people get sent round to deal with you and find out where it's best to to put you and whether you need. You know, um, whether there's mental care issues or stuff like that, but they just get—they ev- got everyone off the street in three months. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many like empty places here, owned by the banks and all these, you know, all these yeah, various, yeah. and they're just literally just sitting there idle. And then you're hearing—you're hearing all yeah. these stories of people, you know, literally fl- freezing to death on the streets. It's just—it's—it's it's crazy. I know,
1: yeah. But at the moment, I think the rate is nine a week at the moment. Oh my nine goodness.
0: On the yeah they, yeah,
1: they reckon there's one in every two, one in every 200 people is homeless in this country at the moment. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, it's. I ridiculous. mean, there might be
1: they might there might be sofa surfing, but they they haven't got homes or addresses. So it's not on.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not, definitely not. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> yeah, on
1: that cheerful note, on that
0: cheerful note, uh, yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure okay. chatting with you.
1: Thank you. It's been a joy.